Stephen is a guy that I really want to meet when I get to heaven. He's a guy who has really impacted my life because he was an effective witness and a godly man. A great example for me and for all of us as guys because he was an ordinary guy just like you and me, but God got a hold of him and changed him. The same kind of change God wants to make in each of us, men or women. And so here's how part of the story unfolds that Luke records for us in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Stephen then begins to unfold for them Israel's history and how much they missed it. Abraham, who was called by God to go to a land he would show him. Through Abraham would come Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. Through the patriarchs would come Joseph, who would lead the people in Egypt. They would come down there and for 400 years end up in slavery, and God would raise up Moses to deliver them from that bondage and lead them into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They would rebel against God, and he would have to judge them. God would send them the law, and he would establish the tabernacle, which would become the future temple, the meeting place with God. But they would build a golden calf and rebel against God as they rebelled against him time and time and time again. And so it says in verse 44, chapter 7, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, or while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Let's pray for a moment. Father, these were powerful times in the early church. And your witnesses were being faithful in powerful ways. It's the same kind of faithful, godly, effective witness that you're wanting to establish in my life and all of our lives today. Because the times may be different, but the times are not different. You are the same. Your message is the same. Our calling is the same. We are witnesses. Thank you for men like Stephen. And on this Father's Day, I pray, God, that you'll be honored as we look more closely at the effective witness of a godly man. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard me mention in the past a man by the name of Dr. Sherburn Heath. He was uh, a prominent doctor in the Seattle area, nationally, in fact, and internationally. He and his wife, Lillian, are two of the most godly people I have ever met. He passed away in 2011. In his hotel room, his hotel, in his hospital room where he was passing away, his wife was there, their seven children and their spouses, many of their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They were singing hymns to God as he lay there passing away, filling that hospital room. They were reading scripture, carrying on a praise service that was sending a message out to the entire hospital. When Dr. Heath actually slipped into God's presence, while they were all standing there, Mrs. Heath said, the glory of God was so powerful in that room, you could feel it. And they were overwhelmed with the joy of God's presence. I have no idea how many people he led to Christ through his witness. Or how many young men like me he mentored at critical times in our lives. But I can tell you today that I can only hope as a man and a husband and a father to have even a fraction of the impact this man had on his family, on his church, and on the kingdom of God.
Men who are godly witnesses and examples like that are far too rare. And when you find one, we do well to study their lives and learn from them. Such a man arose in the early church, and his name was Stephen. Stephen was a man God used to ignite the witness of his church in Jerusalem and beyond. We read in chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit God gave him as he spoke. Stephen was a Hellenist. He was a Greek-speaking Jew who had become a vibrant follower of Jesus. He was chosen as one of the seven men full of faith in the Holy Spirit and wisdom who would be able to guide that new ministry of caring for the body of Christ and particularly the widows who are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. But he was also a powerful preacher of the gospel whose message was accompanied by great signs and wonders that he demonstrated amongst the people. Stephen was a man you'd probably love to just be around. When you take the words that Scripture uses to describe him, you come up with a picture like this, that he loved Jesus, he cared deeply for people, he was godly, he was wise, and he was winsome and gracious in his personality. He was a great guy. You would just enjoy being around him. But he was no pushover. He was strong and courageous, a man of deep convictions. He loved God and he loved the truth. And he wasn't ashamed to stand up for either one. So powerful was his witness that some fellow Hellenists, the freedmen of the synagogue, Jews who had been set free from their ancestors' slavery to Rome, had deep concerns in their synagogue that Stephen was teaching things against Abraham and Moses and the tabernacle and Solomon. He was challenging everything they believed as Jews. And when they couldn't stand up to the power of his witness and his wisdom, they decided they would have people lie about Stephen and his message, charging him with blasphemy against these things, so they could arrest him, stone him, and silence him. Stephen knew exactly what they were trying to do. But he wouldn't be silenced or intimidated. He boldly witnessed to who Jesus was, what his accusers had done, and how they needed to turn to God's Messiah. Stephen was the first martyr in the church. The word martyr means witness. A person who's willing to give their life for what they believe. And Stephen was the first in the church to give his life for following Jesus. He would not back down. And God used that witness to glorify himself and magnify his witness to Christ and the world. So powerful was that witness that if you're a Christian today, that witness has reached all the way to you. It's the very same thing God wants to do through us as his witnesses today. He wants godly men and women to make a difference. And God can accomplish great things through the effective witness of a godly man and godly women. What made Stephen such an effective godly witness? He was filled with the Spirit of God, and he was filled with the truth of God. It's that simple. His testimony is not about the greatness of Stephen. It's about the greatness of God in Stephen. 
Stephen was such an effective witness because he was a godly man filled with the Spirit of God. If you go back to chapter 6, verse 3, you read this. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. When you are living under the control of someone or something, it shows. When I was at Central Connecticut State, one of my majors there was, I was a biology major. And I was taking a class in microbiology, not one of the easiest classes I ever took. It was the study of bacteria, viruses, and other microbes. I had a lab partner named Tim. Tim was a great guy, but he was a true long-haired, dope-smoking, bearded hippie. And he would come today, he would come to class very often stone. Stephen got stone, but this is a different kind of stone. <laughs> one day in lab, we teamed up because one of us was to look at the microbes on this slide and describe them while the partner recorded the attributes described, and then we had to get together and try to identify what these microbes were. So Tim was on the microscope. He came stoned out of his head that morning, and I'm sitting there trying to record what he's seeing. Now, I can't remember it exactly, but I can get close, and it sounded something like this. I'm not making this up. Wow. Far out, man. Dig this. These creatures are amazing. This one has fur. And I'm thinking, microbes with fur? And I look over, and I said, Tim, you don't even have a slide on your microscope. <laughs> you're, you're looking at the dust on the lens. It was an amazing semester. I'm telling you, we, we saw things that nobody else saw. I can guarantee you that. The point was this. Tim was not in control of his life. He was always, every time I saw him, he was under the control of something, alcohol or dope. It controlled his life. It was obvious by the way they controlled his thinking, his speech, his attitude, his behavior. He lived under the influence of the things that filled him. And you and I are no different. The things that fill us may not be drugs and alcohol. It may be pride or greed or lust or the desire for recognition or trying to fill some hole of emptiness. I don't know what fills your life. But whatever it is, that's what will control you. Stephen was a man whose life was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit controlled his life. So when the apostles came to this massive throng of people and all these overlooked widows and said, choose seven men from among you who are full of faith and the Holy Spirit, whoa! Stephen's at the top of the list. 
You want a guy filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God? Stephen's your man. He's at the top of the list. It showed by the way he lived. Stephen was a man known to be full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that phrase, full of the Spirit or filled with the Spirit, is the synonym for control. It's what controlled his life. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it or a force or a power. The Holy Spirit is a person, God, the Holy Spirit. And when you become a Christian, he comes to live in you in his fullness. You don't get more of the Spirit. You either have him or you don't. This fullness is not about you getting more of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit getting more of you. That's what this is about. There are four primary words that describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Two things we're called to do, two things you never want to do. We're called to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. What you don't want to do is grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. Now, you grieve the Spirit of God when God is speaking to you or and you're not listening. So you're not doing what God wants you to do, or you're engaged in sin. He is God, the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Spirit of God, and when he's living in you, you can feel that when you're sinning. When I sin right now, I feel it right away. That's the grief of the Spirit of God you're feeling, and he's there for a reason, to prompt you that something's wrong and off track, and you need to address it. If you stay in that state of grieving the Holy Spirit and don't address those things through repentance and obedience, you'll quench the Spirit in your life. He may truly be there, but he will not be fully operational. He will not be controlling your life. Sin will be controlling your life. So we are called to walk in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is keeping in step with him, step by step, listening to God, being sensitive to what the Spirit of God's revealing to you and obeying what God is showing you, doing what you know is right by God's help. Being filled with the Spirit is when every part of you is yielded to Him. So He's taking control of the way you think, the way you talk, the way you see the world, your attitude, the way you handle setbacks and disappointments, as well as blessings and joys. He's in control. When the Spirit of God is controlling your life, it shows just as clearly as when dope or alcohol or something else is controlling your life. So what was the evidence that the Spirit of God was so controlling Stephen's life that everybody could see it? Well, the Bible says, beginning in verse 6, that he was a man full of faith. It tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. Stephen believed God. He believed Jesus. It goes on to say in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we don't see. Stephen had a vibrant confidence in God. He believed Jesus and he lived that out in obedience. Paul said in Ephesians 6 that that kind of faith is like a shield with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Satan doesn't like it when you believe God and you live for him or when you become a godly, effective witness like Stephen. So Paul said in Ephesians 6, Satan's shooting fiery darts at you all the time, darts of doubt. God's not really there. Or if he was, you wouldn't be going through this. Or why did the righteous suffer? Are you sure his word is true? 
Intelligent people don't believe this. What's wrong with you? And why are you putting all your faith in this? There's many ways to God. Wham, wham, wham. He keeps shooting these fiery darts. But a shield of faith is like a protective shield. It absorbs those things. Stephen got shot at all the time. But it didn't affect his faith because he had his shield up. His life remained strong. He didn't believe that stuff. He knew who was shooting the arrows and he, he knew why he was being shot. He was not only full of faith, it says he was full of wisdom. Insight into the true nature of things. Able to, excuse me, see things the way they really are. You know, you can have really smart people. Really smart people. Intelligent people. Have lots of knowledge, but they have no wisdom. They can solve all kinds of issues for the universe but they don't know how to understand or interpret what it all means. People today have always, in any day, have always lived either with the spirit of the wisdom of the world or the spirit of the wisdom of God. There is no other choice. So you're either living by the world's wisdom and its spirit or you're living by God's wisdom and his spirit. There's no other choice. And boy, when you, get a, when you get a guy who claims he's a Christian, but he's living by the wisdom of the world, that's an ugly thing. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. You see that? The understanding. I see all this knowledge and things, and I understand God's behind it, and I see God in all of this. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see it? We don't have the spirit of the world. That's leading us away from God. We have the spirit of wisdom of God. And only the spirit of God can give that. Stephen was full of godly wisdom, which is why Luke said of him in Acts 6, verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. God gave that to him. It also says he was full of grace. And I love this word. It's the word charistos in the Greek, which is a little bit of a different twist on God's grace. It means full of God's spiritual charisma, his attractiveness, his winsomeness, his graciousness. Stephen was full of that grace. And it was seen very clearly in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, when he's being stoned to death by his accusers. And he's praying that God would not hold the sin against them. People, when you have a grace about you that allows you to see people the way God sees them and the people are stoning you to death and you're praying for them to be forgiven, only God gives a grace like that. But it also said he was full of God's power. 
the word dunamis from where we get our English word dynamite. Stephen was full of the dynamite of God. God was powerfully working in and through Stephen, empowering his message, strengthening his resolve, displaying wonders and signs. He was gracious, but he was no wimp. Many people think if you're going to be a godly man, you've got to be some kind of a wimp. That was not Stephen. Stephen was a spiritually powerful man full of God's spirit. He was not macho. He was godly. And there's a difference. And this is the same Holy Spirit that lives in each of us who have been born again and are followers of Jesus. And guys, this gives me a lot of hope. Because if God can take an ordinary man like Stephen, a Hellenist from out of town, bring him down here into Jerusalem, have him discover who Jesus is, fill his life with the Spirit of God, and use him to transform the world with a faith that led all the way to me finding Christ, if God can do that for Stephen, he can do it for me. And he can do it for you because it's not about us. It's about the fullness of God in us. The real issue is, does the Holy Spirit fill and control our lives or is it someone else? And people, let me just say quickly, I don't have time to develop all this today, but you are not in control of your life, I'll guarantee you. You think you are, but you're not. Either God will control your life or Satan will control it. He will control it through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He'll get you running in circles over here thinking you're in charge while he's destroying you. Or you can have God controlling your life and leading you to righteousness, holiness, and making a difference that lasts for eternity. Those are the choices we get. That's why when people say, well, I don't want God controlling my life, I said, then you're, you're done. You're cooked. Because if God's not doing it, Satan will be. We don't control our lives. We have the choice of making who will control our life. Stephen chose God, and God filled that man up with the Spirit of God and used his life to make a difference. Remember, when Ananias came and threatened the whole church, as we learned in Acts chapter 5, a man who supposedly was godly, who was trying to pull a fast one on the church and pretend to be something he wasn't. God exposed it. You remember what Peter said to him in Acts 5, verse 3? How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? When Satan fills your heart, you get an Ananias. When the Holy Spirit fills your heart, you get a Stephen. That's the choice we get to make. Who is going to control my life? Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And guys, that's, that's the man I want to be. I believe that's the man most of you want to be. And I can assure you, that is the man your families and your children want. That is the man God wants. And the thing that gives me encouragement today is no matter where we've been or how we've blown it or where we're from, it isn't about us, it's about God. God will take control of the man who yields himself to him. God did it with Stephen, and he filled his life. And not only because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but Stephen was such an effective witness because he was a godly man filled with the truth. It says in Acts 7, verse 44, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. 
but it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, have, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. I was reading a piece this week by John Bokema. He's a pastor in Western Springs, Illinois. He was talking about his dad, Dr. Jack Bokema. He said, my father had a diamond that was very valuable to him. It came to him 40 years ago when his parents died. My grandfather had given that diamond to my grandmother as an engagement ring. It's rather tiny as diamonds go and not at all perfect. My grandfather earned the money for the ring by doing hard labor in a stone quarry. After my dad came into possession of the ring, he had a jeweler take the diamond from the setting and put it in a man's ring. My father wore that ring with my grandmother's diamond for nearly 20 years. One night after attending a conference in a city far from home, Dad went for a walk and was held up at gunpoint by two robbers. The crooks asked my father for his money, and he gave it to them, money clip and all. They asked for his watch, which had been an expensive gift from his older brother. Dad handed it over. Finally, they asked him for his ring. And Dad said, you'll have to come and get it. It wasn't the monetary value of the ring, but the significance of it that motivated him to refuse. Amazingly, they didn't shoot him. And after hearing the story, the investigating officer called my dad, and I quote, an idiot. He said, you're lucky to be alive. The next time someone threatens you with a gun, give them everything they want. And John Bokema said, that story makes me wonder. Is there anything I possess that someone could only take by killing me? Is there anything I value more than my own life? That's a compelling question. Most of us will probably never be forced to answer it. But Stephen was. And his answer was obvious. Jesus and the truth is more important to me. I value it more than my own life. Stephen was an effective witness because he was filled with the truth of God. In Acts 7, verse 1, the high priest asks him, Stephen, are these charges true? Are they truth? Are they an accurate account of what actually is? And Stephen says in verse 2, brothers and fathers, listen to me. Essentially saying, look, you want truth? Here it is, plain and simple. And Stephen lays out the truth about Israel, the truth about God, the truth about his accusers, the truth about Jesus in one of the most compelling speeches recounting Israel's history and the truth of God ever given. You see, pious Jews held to three cardinal pillars of the Jewish faith. That Abraham gave us the land, 
The law was given through Moses, and the temple or tabernacle and the eventual temple came to us through Solomon. And so if you are anybody who attacks Abraham in the land, Moses in the law, or Solomon in the temple, you are considered a heretic, blasphemous words that are deserving of death. Stephen knew exactly what these people were doing and what they stood for. He was one of them. So he stood up, and what does he do? He starts with Abraham in the land. He immediately moves to how he believes in Moses and the law. And then he talks about Solomon and the temple, the three cardinal pillars. And he said, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these. He is the land, the resting place, the home for those who come to have faith in him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law given by Moses that we couldn't keep, and he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. And Jesus is the temple, the true tabernacle, where men and women can meet with God, where the sacrifice happens to save us from our sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things you claim me to be blaspheming. I'm not the blasphemer. You are. You and, your de- you and your descendants are the ones who always rejected Abraham, always rejected Moses, and you rejected the temple. You are under judgment, and now you've killed the one who fulfilled it all. Wow. Talk about power of truth. He quotes more than a dozen passages of Scripture in that defense. He was a man filled with the truth and willing to give his life to defend it. What was the result? Stephen stands there, looks into heaven, and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You search the scriptures. The resurrected Jesus is almost always described as seated on his throne. But here in this significant moment, Jesus stands in honor of the one who's testifying for him at the cost of his life. And isn't it ironic? Stephen is standing there proclaiming the truth while he stares into the face of the one who is the truth. Powerful in his witness because he was filled with the Spirit and filled with the truth. So what happened? Well... Stephen's ushered into glory. And on that day, Acts 8, verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You think, man, Stephen's dead. The persecution's beginning. This thing's turning into a disaster. That's why Luke gave verse 4. Luke, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, God used Stephen's witness to ignite a spark that sent thousands out of Jerusalem over the Roman world. You're going to learn about Philip who went to the Samaritans and ended up witnessing to a eunuch who carried the gospel back to Africa. You're going to hear about how the others went out and began to impact Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts. 
And don't overlook the joy of coming into chapter 9 when you find out that this young man, Saul, who was holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, becomes the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the church has ever seen, writing half our New Testament. And in Paul's own defense in Acts chapter 21, when he is on trial for his faith in Jesus, he goes all the way back to tell about how Stephen's death impacted him. And now he's standing for the same truth, Jesus, that the Stephen died for. People, Stephen's witness has spread out over the world and come all the way to me. I'm a Christian today because of the faithful chain of witnesses that Stephen was willing to die for. And now that witness has been handed to you and me. And you want to know what's good about this? It's not about us. It's all about God. Stephen was great because he was filled with God, the Spirit of God, and the truth of God. And that's what God can do in any man or woman who's willing today to let their lives be taken over by him. Because the truth is, guys, I don't want to be like Dr. Heath. I don't even want to be like Stephen. I want to be like Jesus. And the more I give my life over to him, the more he fills me up. And the more he fills me up, the more powerful his witness becomes. That's what God did for Stephen. That's what God wants to do for every man and every woman. And I can tell you, our marriages, our families, our homes, our workplace, our communities, our church, and our world needs men who, like Stephen, will be effective witnesses for God. If God can do it for Stephen, he can do it for us. We are witnesses.